Once again, Father, we just come before you, Lord, and Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and we thank you. We just thank you that you died on the cross and that you took our sins and you destroyed them, Lord, that you, that we can, that we can boldly come into the throne room of God, even right now as we're praying together and collectively as a church, Lord, that, Lord, that you're here, Lord, that you're, you're excited about tonight and what you're going to do, and so we just ask that tonight would be a blessing and that the words would be completely from you out of your word as we look at history and the things that happened so long ago when you entered into this world, Lord, to save us, God. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn to each other, say hi and have a seat. Do they do that? I don't know. Turn to each other and say hi? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hi, guys. I'm loud. I'm just realizing that right now. My uh, my dad was asking me about my shirt and what what the you know this plan is. It's a bunch of like plans or whatever. If you can't see, and I said so. You subconsciously know that I'm a man with a plan. You know when I'm teaching tonight, and because I just think the shirt's really cool. If you uh, brought your Bibles to the Bible study, turn to Matthew chapter two. If you didn't, I don't know if we have any, but it takes like five seconds to download Blue Letter Bible. You could do that too on your cell phone. Last week we were talking about uh, Matthew and why we can trust that Matthew wrote Matthew. That there's, there's a lot of colleges, a lot of people now that believe that Matthew didn't write Matthew. That it's too similar with all the other gospel. They're too close together. Um, and they, they, they had to have been from one source, from one individual. And, you know, I was, I was saying, it, they are from one source. They were there when it happened. We, kn- we know that, that Matthew and John were when Luke is, Luke is first-hand account. He was him being a, an, a, a disciple of the Apostle Paul. And Mark, more than likely from church history, being a, being a uh, disciple of Peter. He could, he, there's even arguments that uh, Mark could have been around during these times and witnessed them as well. But as we're going through this, uh, this whole series I titled uh, Be Disciples uh, as we go through it. And it's, it's kind of a two-part thing. Be based on the Beatitudes and what we're supposed to be, disciples. So we're going to be disciples, and I, w- I want to see that as we go through. See that when Jesus gets to the Great Commission after he rises from the dead, that he says to go make disciples of all nations. And we're going to see throughout, as we get into Jesus' ministry, through the eyes and the lens of Matthew, and through all of them, that that's what Jesus is doing. He's discipling his, his, uh, his guys. And anything he did, whether it was a miracle or, or he would do a, a parable, a teaching, um, whatever he did, he, he would turn around and, and explain it to these men. If, um, if, even if they asked him, he said, you don't know? Well, this is why. And he disciple them. I think Jesus, through these scriptures, set the absolute president, if you will, on what we're, we ought to be doing as born-again believers is discipling someone. And last week I presented the question to you guys that I'm going to I'll probably ask about the whole thing, to be honest. But I really want to uh, go back when, when I get to it in chapter 28 is, who are you discipling? Can you, can you look at one person in your life and say, I pour into this person from the things that I receive from whoever's discipling me? And as, as, as father and mothers, you have that opportunity. As a husband to your wife and as a husband to your children, as a father, you can raise those children up in the way they should go. And if not, maybe you don't have children, or maybe you don't have a wife even. 
has God, I guarantee you, if you ask God to put someone on your heart to disciple and pour into, God's going to do it. In fact, he, he might be doing that already. So anyway, as we, as we go, we're going to see that as we go through Matthew. But also as we go through Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as the synoptic gospels. And synoptic is a very theologian-y thing, meaning seen together. That if you look at all the aspects of what Matthew is saying, what Mark is saying, what Luke is saying, it's, it's, it's kind of getting the whole picture, different perspectives of, what, of the same event that happened because they're so close together. So it's all that synoptic means seen together. Matthew is, is larger than, than Mark. But Mark in some details have, uh, Mark in some areas has more details because uh, Peter was an inner apostle, inner circle apostle. Uh, Jesus took him on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And so we will, so we're going to be going through um, different sections, uh, either in Matthew, or as we're in Matthew, we may go to Mark and we may go to Luke to get a full perspective of what happened back then in Jesus' ministry. Today we'll be going to Luke uh, more often than not. Um, reading Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of, Ju- of uh, Ju- Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So starting off right away, we see as, as Jesus is, is, being, is born, he is born during the time of, of Herod the Great. Uh, Herod being of the Heronian family. If we go back before that, we see we had, we had the Babylonian captivity, uh, Babylon, the Babylonians in power, the Babylonian captivity, and then that moved into uh, the Persian Empire that, that ruled the known world at the time, which, which after that was conquered and ruled by the Greek Empire. And what you've got to understand about during this time, and what's very important to, as we go through and learn this stuff, is the, um, the influence that the Greek Empire had on this modern day. Rome absolutely ruled during this time. The law was Roman. Uh, we, still get, we still get a ton of things that we've, we've taken, we have taken from the Romans, like a lot of military formations, um, different things that, because looking back, different things that we, um, that we follow from Roman times. But during this period, the Greeks had the culture. The term disciple, we believe, comes from the Greeks even, that as they studied under uh, the different philosophers and, and um, um, you know, different, the, the different Greek wise men. But the Greeks had the culture. The language was there. People followed, when, whenever a Greek, so a Greek of importance said something, people would study it. It was ingrained into, the, into their system. And that's because of, uh, of, of a man named Alexander the Great who had ruled the world. In fact, there's stories, and, and I'm not saying this is biblical, but there's stories that the Jews came out to meet Alexander the Great and said, look, the, our, our scripture said that you would do this, even. And, it was, and, and, and Alexander, being very impressed, kind of uh, e- went easy on them. But anyway, whatever happened, Alexander ruled the known world. Alexander the Great uh, died, and he had two generals uh, that, that would rule. One of them being this man called uh, Seleucid, kind of out of the Greek, er- or the um, Syrian Empire. He had a man 
in, uh, in, and this is before, right before um, the, times that were, the times of Christ, he had a ruler in place there named Antiochus Epiphanes. It kind of came from them. This was an evil man. Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig in the temple. He murdered many Jews. He would slaughter him. In, in Daniel, it talks about uh, Antiochus Epiphanes as a type of Antichrist, that his, his, the, um, the amount of evil that came from him knew no bounds. And so you could see that, that the Jews were very oppressed, that there's, there's a lot of reason why there's a lot of things that the Jews didn't let become biblical scripture or canon during this time, the silent period between Micah and Matthew. A lot of things they didn't want to be saying, this is absolute scripture, is because they didn't want the Greek influence because of how oppressed they were. Uh, the, 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 zealot, um, the zealot sect of the Jews back that we're going to be reading about kind of formed out of this, that style of fighting, that style of the uh, Hasmonean dynasty, or, uh, or the Maccabees, if you know your history. Um, but anyway, there was a war between Ptolemy uh, in Egypt, who was a Greek general, and Seleucid, who was a Greek general, leading to Antioch's Epiphanes ruling. The Judas of Maccabees rises up, and they overthrow the Greeks. And for the first time in a long time since Ju- the Jews went into Babylonian captivity, Finally, they were able to self-rule from 164 B.C. to 63 B.C. After that, we know history tells us that the Roman Empire comes to power. They besiege Israel, and they take over uh, largely under the, um, the command of General Pompey, which leads to a, a man named Antipater, who is an Edomite. Antipater was the father of Herod the Great. Antipater had enough foresight and knowledge during this time to back the right general during the Roman, uh, Roman Empire. And he backed the right general who ended up becoming Caesar, a general named Julius Caesar, who ended up becoming the dictator of Rome. So because he backed, you know, essentially the right horse, Julius Caesar turns around and rewards him with, with the title of ru- the ruler of that, of that area of Israel. He was able to collect taxes on behalf of Rome, which means he could keep the money, and he had a large influence. Well, Antipater dies, and, uh, and it leads into his son, uh, his second-born son, taking over, named Herod the Great, who was also established by, um, by Julius Caesar's um, heir, Caesar Augustus. So Caesar Augustus is in power. He establishes Herod the Great. Herod the Great ruled from 37, um, 37 to uh, 4. B.C. Herod the Great uh, was was a he he was not fully Jewish. In fact, he married a Jewish woman to kind of kind of try to get himself into the Jews, into that culture. Um, history records that Herod wasn't wasn't a great physical man. In fact, he was about four foot two. I would I could have like stepped on him on on accident being six foot four. Um, but what what Herod lacked in, in size and stature. He was great in building, in building projects. He built, if you look into the things he built, he built a whole complete palace on the side of a mountain because that's how, that's how incredible he was at building things. He built an aqueduct, which, which was able to bring a lot of water into that area. He fixed Nehemiah's temple and made it one of the, one of the wonders of the world at the time. And if you're trying to impress the Jewish people, one way, one way to do that is to fix their temple is to get in there and, and make it, and what the history is saying is uh, when he did that, he was trying to make it on par to that of the pyramids in Egypt, that they would last that long and be that durable. But what we know, if when we read the Bible, what happens 
the temple comes down. Not one brick is laid on top of the other, right? But, um, but he was good. He made, it, he made it one of the wonders of the world. Not as, not as good as King Solomon's temple. Because, I mean, if you look and you translate how much money that would have cost, it's astronomical. It was during the golden age of Israel. He couldn't have done that. But he made it very impressive. And while, while, he, was, while he was great at building things, he was also great at wickedness. And guys, I think as, as we read what's going on here between um, verses 1 and 6 and what Jesus is born into, he's born into a, compl- a very wicked time. He's born into um, something where, where divorce kind of was rampant. And we're going to talk about that as we get into Matthew later. But divorce was, was very rampant in that time. In fact, a, a Jew at the time had every legal, a male Jew had every legal right to divorce his wife if she made his eggs wrong. You know, they're, 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 they would, the, in fact, when Jesus, when Jesus was, cha- when, the, when the Pharisees came and they challenged Jesus about being married, he said, it's because of the hardness of your hearts that, that, um, that God allowed, that Moses allowed for a certificate of divorce. But God, but since the beginning, it's been man and wife. I just got back from, um, I got back, it was at the church I go to, but it was uh, one of our worship leaders' weddings. And, it, you know, it's, and sitting there, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a natural thing, but it's something that's even now in our day of age is being perverted and being challenged. And it was being perverted back then. The enemy, ha- the enemy is the same boring enemy 2,000 years ago that he is now. But in, in, in what I'm saying here is, is uh, Herod was married nine times. In fact, he killed one of his wife, one of his wives, and three of his sons because he thought they were traitors. I don't know if he had, like, short man syndrome there or something. He was, like, you know, real paranoid about it. He, history says that he, end up, he ended up uh, marrying a street prostitute because she had the same name of the wife that he regretted killing, which led to him getting STDs. Imagine that. And it actually slowly killed him and really, really killed him and had a huge effect on his mental um, capability towards the end of his life. It was qu- it's quoted in history that Caesar Augustus would say about Herod that it's safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be in his family. Herod trying to act like a Jew. The Jews didn't eat pork, so he wouldn't eat pork because he wanted to appease these people. Um, so we have, we have a lot of people in play here. We have Herod, we have the wise men, we have the scribes and the, the, Pharise- the, scribes and the chief priests, the Levites, um, one thing to note here, these chief priests that were, that were here, um, they, they, they weren't picked because of how holy they were. They weren't picked because of how into the Bible in, or how, how much a men of God they were. It was more of a money influence thing. You've got to keep in mind Rome. Rome rules the world during this time. Rome wants to set up people that, aren't, that isn't going to cause Rome problems. Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna do that, who would that be? You know who would that be? That'd be the Sadducees, because you know the Sadducees they don't believe in angels and all this all this afterlife stuff. So it's it, what you know what they do believe in. They believe in money, they believe in power. And there's people like that today. Yeah, church is good. You know, I'll go to church. You know, it's it's a good thing. It's a good institution. You know, I like I send my kids to VBS and I have all day off. You know, it's fantastic. But. But they, they, they believed in money and power, and so Rome said, okay, and so they let, they let the Sadducees run, run the religious institutions of those times. And, uh, and it was the Sadducees that when Rome got mad, they had to answer to Rome for that. 
But that's something to keep in mind. And I think either next week or the week after, we're going to start getting into the different sects that were around in Israel because there's, there's four different ones. There's the Pharisees, there's the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And these are very important because you kind of fell into one of them. And I would, I would ask you and ask you guys to keep in your mind, what, what sect did, would you fall into? Because, you know, the Pharisees at the very core of what they were and why they got started, it wasn't a terrible thing. They wanted, they wanted to make sure that they didn't break God's law so that they never would have to be in, go get taken into um, captivity ever again like they did in Babylon. The problem is, and what Jesus had a problem with, is when then they would hold their traditions and their laws above the law of God. You heard then Jesus challenges that, and he says, You have heard it said, but I say unto you, Jesus was challenging the law of the Pharisees and the traditions. Guys, we don't need to protect God's law. We don't need to change or alter the things that God says. And when tradition gets in the way of what the word of God says, we fall on the word of God, not on the traditions of Christianity or Catholicism or Buddhism or anything. Americanism. Essentially, at its core, aren't we we all monarchists? Don't we all have a king? Don't get me wrong, we're Americans, right? We, we, you know, we pray for those, whether or not we like the leader or not, we pray for him. We pray for the office. You know, but, I mean, but one day, you know, this is going to pass. And I'm still going to be in the throne room of God serving my king. That should be a motivating for you, but not to get carried away here. So there's different sects. And, and, and just trying to point out that the, that the men that should have been paying attention to what was going on at the time, just, it just seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, God help me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that they just didn't care. All things, all things, uh, all this was set up for the impact, I believe, it would have when the wise men asked, where is the one born king of the Jews? Um, I think it's kind of interesting. I think this is, this is really cool because you got these wise men, they would have been pagan practice practitioners. They were like, like magi, it insinuates. They would have been magic kind of guys. Um, they would have looked at the stars. They had books upon books, if you look at history, explaining about what stars mean. I mean, they do today, dumb horoscopes and stuff. But if you believe in horoscopes, I'm sorry, we'll pray for you. But they, they, they would look at the stars and, and see what they mean. And, 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 uh, and, and they looked at all their writings, and they, they wanted to find out these these spiritual, these spiritual things. And you know what? I want to point out someone who had a huge, gigantic influence on those, on those, on those wise men that were over in that part of the country, east of Israel, um, a, a man by the name of Daniel, Daniel the prophet. Daniel taken into captivity. My dad was saying we just kind of got out of Daniel. I remember Sean would teach Daniel, right, um, when you taught? Um, but... Uh, but Daniel, Daniel was, a, was a young, it says a good-looking lad, you know, type of kid. That's actually why he was taken. He was in the, um, he was in the, the nobility of Israel. Uh, he had noble blood in Israel. He was taken for those things, taken away when, when Nebuchadnezzar had enough of Israel. He'd taken him. In, in, in Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 8, I like what it says here, and I think it, this is why it has an effect up, leading up to this wise man. Daniel 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed, this is after he's in captivity. Daniel purposed, this is as a teenager, by the way. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. 
Daniel, Daniel decided to kind of separate himself from what was going on and so, and with, with three friends, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel and them, they decided, you know, we've been blowing it this whole time as, as a nation. Maybe God's trying to get our attention. You know, maybe, maybe God's trying to do something. And you see God uses Daniel and, and his friends to do these wonderful, mighty things. What happens? Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it troubles him. And what does Nebuchadnezzar say? I'm not going to even tell you what the dream was, wise men, Chaldeans. You tell me and the interpretation. And Daniel does. And we see throughout all the things that Daniel does, he shows that, that there is a God in heaven. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, like, converts and becomes a worshiper of the living God. Nebuchadnezzar is a Gentile, and one of the few men that have, uh, that have made biblical canon has, as a chapter in the Bible because, of, because of, of Daniel's witness. And I think it's such a great thing, and Jesus even refers to Daniel. He actually he refers to Daniel as Daniel the prophet, which, could have prob- which I guarantee you upset the, uh, the religious leaders at the time because they didn't really view Daniel as a prophet. They, view, they, they, saw, they knew he had prophecy, but a prophet really had to have been in Israel, and Daniel was in captivity. But Jesus quotes Daniel, and right here, we see the wise men, well, the he- at some point, Daniel was the head of their order. So these wise men guys were in the, they, they were constantly in the word of God, looking, looking for God. And what happens as they're reading these things, because, because all, all the things that, the, uh, God, the impact that Daniel had, thou, um, you know, many, many years before this, had a godly impact. And so I would tell you, as I said last week, as we were talking about the genealogy and how we had all these men and women through the genealogy that must have been wondering, what am I doing with my life for God? Or just, what am I doing with my life? You know, at the very least, what was going on in their life? God was bringing his son Jesus through their life, through all those people. And now think of the godly impact here that Daniel's having, and you can have, you don't know the impact you're going to have on your family, I don't know, in 200 years. I wonder about the impact of my family because my parents decided to go to Calvary Chapel, Ontario when it was under Pastor David Rosales and listen to him. My parents answered an altar call and became born again. And, and it's my deep desire and hope that for generations to come we'll be serving the Lord. And if, and if we're not, it's because we're raptured. But you don't know the impact you're going to have on, on, your, on your life in many years from now. Whether it's, whether it's tomorrow or, or 100 years or 200 years. You follow the Lord. You stand on the word of God and you lead your families in the way they ought to go because you can ask uh, my sisters here, you can ask anyone in my family. It was because our parents sat us down and gave us devotions whether we wanted it or not. Now guys, if you don't get anything out of this, teach your children the Bible. You know, go, preach to them. Raise them up. Bring them to church. Be about this. I was thinking when I was sitting back there, Alshon's doing his... Um, uh, the bulletin thing, and he's talking about giving. And, you know, I think we can think of why do we give? And we can get in theological debates about tithing. You can, if you want, go find Sean. You can argue with him. I don't want to do it. But, but go argue with him about what tithing. Well, tithing was something that the Lev- they had to do because the Levites didn't have land, and they needed it for the temple. But we're not called to tithe now. Because do you know that in our church history that, that they, they didn't use that as an excuse not to give, but now they were like, we can give more. And I know you're, what you're thinking, like, great, the pastor's son is talking to me about giving, trying to promote Ontario. No, I'm not. I'm, what I'm saying to you is, is, you know why we do this? Because, like, do, do any of you, like, I don't know, golf or do play baseball or, like, like cars or motorcycles or any hobby that you might be into on earth, music? 
you buy, you buy the stuff, right? Like, okay, let's say you're really into baseball, just for a, a cheap example. And let's say you're even going to try to be a professional baseball player. Are you not going to purchase baseball stuff? And, you know, you're going to try to go to the gym. You're going to buy a gym membership. You're going to buy food that, that kind of goes towards that. And all I'm saying in this is, is are, are we born-again believers? Now, don't give because, I, you know, what I'm, even what I'm saying, give what God puts on your heart because you want to please the Lord because this is what we should be about is fellowship. This is what we should be about is serving the Lord and meeting people's needs, like what we're doing tonight and offering food. It's because, it's because we want to see God do a mighty work. I want to see revival happen. So anyway, we see that we see what happened here. We see that um, because of Daniel's influence it had on these men, that these wise men from far off started traveling. And it's kind of interesting to note, I, I just, look, I can't say with absolute certainty that it wasn't three wise men, and I'm sorry if that completely ruins your, your Christmas. But, like, if you take three nobles from a far-off land and they travel alone in the desert with gold, they're going to be killed like that. Now, I know you can counter this with, well, God was protecting them. I get that. But, but think about this, too, logically. You're going to have armed guards, and, and just the things you're going to need to bring with you, water, it's hot. I don't know, like, like you probably could right now look up the weather in Iran and Iraq and Israel. It's probably a little bit hot. I'm guessing maybe I'm wrong. But it's, there's, there's lots of desert, and that's why I'm saying that. It's hot. They would have to have supplies. Um, they, would ha- they, would, they, would, um, they were bringing chest of gold. No noble on earth is bringing gold and not protecting it. There was, I, th- I believe in my heart there was more than just three. You know, the only, the only reason, again, another reason not just to go with tra- what tradition says, but to look into the word of God is this. And that's what, that is, uh, what I'm saying. Is that's why I believe there's more than three. Because it, it just logically makes sense. And isn't that the Bible? The Bible doesn't try to confuse us. Isn't that what, what like, God, God, like, spills out his plan for us. God, like, completely goes, here, this is what I'm going to do, and it's going to happen. Have you thought about it? There's only one more thing that needs to happen, right? The, the Revelation, the book of Revelation. That's it. That's what needs to happen. At this point, there was a lot that needed to happen, but everything up to the point of this time in history had happened, as the Bible plainly said. And, um, and it's true now. The Messiah came. In fact, the, the, um, Gabriel gave Daniel the exact time. God didn't hide it. And, and, and as, as you guys read the Bible, I think, I think God makes things clear to us in his word. I think that's how God speaks to us. My mom's going, with the, going over with the ladies, the spiritual gifts, is she not, during that study? How do you find out your spiritual gifts? Well, you've you got to look in the word of God. I need a drink of water, excuse me. Um, so these wise men who are in the word... In the writings of Daniel, they're coming, they're crossing. I believe there's more than three. They have these gifts. They, they go, and they, they completely turn, turn Herod's life upside down. Herod, completely a murderer of his own family, an evil man, probably, probably having some sort of disease going through his body that may have been even mentally you know, handicap, handicapping him, that may, may have been mentally affecting him. You know, he, he's, he's upset. I mean, first of all, there's these nobles from a, um, a nation that's not ruled by Rome coming into their territory. They probably have a lot of armed guards saying, where's the king of the Jews? 
<laughs> who do you guys think you are? But what does he do here? He, 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 he goes in and he asks his chief wise men. It says, referring to the scriptures, um, but when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of, out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. And then not one of them went to find out if their Messiah was born. But, but, the, but these wise men... Wanting to see God, looking for God, actively searching for God, went and looked. Isn't that amazing? Did the chief priest was like, yeah, you think, I mean, from what I understand, I, I've had, I haven't had the um, blessing of going to Israel. My parents have, and I was talking about this earlier today with my dad. Bethlehem's not incredibly far from, from Jerusalem. They could have made, a, you know, the trip. At the very least, maybe there was a really good Euro shop down there, you know, if it turned out to not be Messiah, then they'll just grab the sandwich and go back home. They didn't even do that. They, they, they just said, oh, it's supposed to be there. Messiah, they, this is something they've been longing for, apparently. At the very least, even if they're looking at Messiah wrong, were as, as if they're, you know, they, many of them were looking, were looking to him to be a conqueror and to boot out Rome, they didn't even go to see that. I'm wondering if they even cared. Because it seems like I can make a really strong case for that, that they didn't care. When Jesus rode in on, the tri- tri- uh, rode in on a donkey, all this was prophesied in Daniel. In fact, this man named Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book called The Coming Prince, who he, he like, takes the Babylonian calendar, and he takes what we know of the Jewish calendar, and, and the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, it shows it like to the day when Jesus would have rode in on the donkey. You don't think they had that? They were there when Jesus rode in. There was a lot of people there. And I can't say for certain, I don't want you to get me wrong, that, that they absolutely knew, but it just really seems like they don't care. And I wonder how many, how many people today that are preaching the word, that are up here on, not this pulpit, not my dad, but like wherever, that they're, they're, <laughs> they're up there preaching the word for selfish reasons, or they really don't care. That's why you guys should be in the word of God. Even what I'm saying right now, I see some of you taking notes, you should be taking these things and bringing it to the Bible and to, the, and to God and see, see the things I'm saying. Maybe they're heresy. I need to know. But the, the religious people, they didn't care. And it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy what's going on here because the prophecy, by the way, if you're interested in that, is Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 through 27. They either completely missed it or they didn't care. But up to this point, Matthew has shown us uh, five prophecies that have been fulfilled. Matthew 1, 23, fulfilled. Micah 5.2, fulfilled. 2 Samuel 7.16, of the lineage of David, fulfilled. Descendant of Abraham, fulfilled. Out of the tribe of Judah, fulfilled. That's five prophecies already fulfilled. We're not even out of chapter 2 yet. Matthew is like showing off, like his ability. Remember, Matthew showing Jesus the Messiah to the Jewish people is like already well, you know, it's like, all right, all right already, stop. Okay, Jesus is Messiah, we got it. And it's true to this day as we, as we look through these things. It's amazing that the impact Jesus had, when you look at what's going on here, and he's just a baby. You know, it's, that's kind of amazing to me. He had such an impact. He, he's drawing, drawing these wise nobles from the east. He's causing the status quo of the, um, of the uh, government at the time to freak out. Um, 
And it's, it's, it's just kind of funny that, you know, the things that the Lord, you know, God being God and, and what's going to happen is having such an impact on the time. And uh, really quick, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 2 in the aspect of, um, of what the religious leaders should have been doing, you know, being upset about, about you know, an infant being born. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country, country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let's go check this out. Let us, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a babe laying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Like, because you know why? Because the religious leaders we just read, they're not doing it. It should have been the religious leaders. We should have been, instead of angels, we should have been, we should have been reading. Then the chief priest came down and said, glory to God in the highest, Messiah is born. It should have been them. They, they were in charge. They were the religious leaders. They were, they were representing God to the people. It's funny to me because you know what's happening? God, if they're not going to do it, God's, God's doing the supernatural here. Sending angels. I promise you, if God sends me an angel, it's going to blow my mind. But you know what, guys? God's, you know, God's, God's doing that, and God's sending people that were um, influenced by Daniel so long ago. But you know what's funny to me is, is relevant today. God's still doing that today, is he not? Do you know that? There's, there's places that we absolutely are terrified to go into in the Middle East. If, I mean, if you go into, I don't know, like 90% of the places in the Middle East and you start saying, hey, Jesus, you get your head chopped off, right? And that's scary, and I'll tell you right now, I don't even want to go to the Middle East and necessarily go around and preach the gospel because I don't want to get my head chopped off. But if God's, but you know, since, since people aren't going, there's story and story and story. And if you don't believe me, look it up on YouTube. See for yourself. There's a story that Jesus is appearing to these people that are honestly seeking God. That are, wor- that are worshiping Allah. I'm not saying God's Allah. I'm just saying that in the Islamic belief that they're lo- worshiping Allah. Because they believe, they want to believe that that's God. And that, that, that's what they're supposed to do. And there's people, I believe, at the right heart in those Islamic countries that are seeking God. That Jesus is appearing to them in visions. And there are faithful men that are going out there and, and these visions that are just tearing these people's lives apart because they, who's this guy with holes in his hands? And then they, they finally meet someone that follows Jesus and they're getting saved. If you don't believe me, go look it up on YouTube. Jesus will, even Jesus himself will do it. But why not, why don't we just be a part of it? No, I'm not saying let's start a Calvary Chapel campaign for Iran or Iraq or any of that. You know, don't be scared and not come next week. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but why, why not be a part of what God wants to do? 
We have the opportunity to do the correct thing where the chief priests and the Levites and the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots and Essenes missed. We could do that. And I believe it starts in discipleship. I really do. I believe once we tighten up and we start pouring into one another in love, in the same love that Jesus showed us, we start showing each other, then I think these things happen. We want to see, like, I mean, how many of you, you know, as, you, as your ladies, as you're going to go through your spiritual gifts, you're going to want to see these spiritual gifts happen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think because they want to see God. I think, I think as we desire these things, we desire good things, and then through discipleship, we're going to see these things happen. And we can be a part of things, even, even the unreached areas of the world where you could die. Jonah had that terrified experience he, he was going into a place that literally would have killed him for being a Jew, let alone a prophet of, of God. Jonah had the most, like, successful revival of all time. He's the only one that had the most successful revival, who, uh, and he was angry about it. Like, you know, if, if, if thousands upon thousands of people turn their hearts to the Lord, like, I guarantee you, at the very least, my dad and I will be doing backflips off the stage in excitement. You can ask him to. He'll do it. No, I'm kidding. But... But Jonah, Jonah was terrified. In fact, Jonah just like walked to the middle. It was like a, like a couple-day journey. Walked to the middle in Nineveh and said, 40 days, you guys are going to die. Bye. Did what he was told. So, you know, you know and, that, and that being said, I'm, I promise, I'm not saying necessarily go into Saudi Arabia and teach Jesus and, and how, you know, the salvation is through the Jews. You <laughs> but go where God's telling you to go. Disciple who God's telling you to disciple. You know what I, we're going to see through this is obedience. And, 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 and how God, God loves obedience. God acknowledges obedience because he loves it when we obey him. Verses, um, verses 7 through 18 of Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him, bring him back word to me. Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced and with exceedingly, exceedingly joy, great joy. And when they had come into the house, notice key words here, house. This, is, this had to have been at some, you know, some time after the events of the birth of Christ. After, after the shepherds coming to the manger, it's, they're not still in the manger, they're in a home. They're settled here. It could have been you know, from anywhere from six months to two years after. And again, this is... This is with, um, with the idea that we're reading about a house, not a manger. And when they come into the, into the house, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. They had a proper response to God here. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, Take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child and destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod. 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. didn't take much to get, it, to get Herod angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and, and in all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So it had to been a couple years. Then, there, then, um, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The f- different words here and why I think it was a couple years, young child and house. It didn't say infant babe and, main, and hole in a cave. Um, young child and house. It, it was, so it had to have been some time. And another reason why, I believe, again, like I was saying, it's probably more than three wise men. Is, is one thing is the gifts that they had were extremely uh, costly gifts and they were all for kings you had gifts gifts from the wise men being being gold gold was a gift for a king um frankincense spices for a priest in the in the duty of what they did these people understood it seems like the jewish culture and they brought things accordingly myrrh burial um especially for jesus uh you know what happens to the Lord. You could see, you could see these things. And it's also, I believe, what, what God was doing here was providing for Mary and Joseph, who weren't wealthy. You know, you think about Ju- uh, Joseph was a carpenter. Again, I don't know for sure, but it, I'm guessing he had to been kind of a jack-of-all-trades in that area because it's not like there's tons of, like, rainforests in Israel where you can just go get wood. So I'd imagine the cost of wood was expensive, and he probably didn't have, you know, just a plethora of work opportunities in the wood business. I'm imagining he had, a, he had to know a few things. Either way, he, I don't think he was a wealthy man in this trade, although I believed he worked hard. But he was, I mean, if you think about how poor he was, God didn't even, God didn't even think about that to put, to put the king of the universe into, under his care. And God provides, and you see what was, what's coming up here as, as, uh, as, as God, an angel uh, warns Joseph, he's providing for them, to go to Egypt. Even to this day, it's, you know, it's not the best thing for Jews to go to Egypt. It wasn't the best thing for Jews to go to Egypt back then or, you know, or, or now. But he's giving them money. They're going to need this cash because they're, up, they're, they're you know, upsetting their lives in obedience to God and heading down to Egypt who there's even less woodwork opportunities. Back then, it was, a, it was I mean, if you don't believe me, look at the pyramids. It was a mason. It was a mason stone type culture, and it could be that Joseph picked up some more traits there and had to really learn a different kind of trade down there. But uh, what I want you to see and focus on is the obedience of Joseph. That he, he once he got that warning, he instantly obeyed and he went down there. But even more so, ladies, the obedience of Mary to her husband. And uh, and I think, lady, I, I believe, ladies, you can you can relate to this when you first get a home. You kind of want to nest it, right? You kind of want to make it your own. You're excited. I just, you know, you're a Jewish mother who just had a firstborn son, you know, from a virgin birth. You know, you're kind of stoked, right? You're, you you, you, you want to, you know, yeah, we're going to do it. We're, all these great things are going to happen. I'm in Israel in my home country, blah, blah, blah. My family's not really that, all that far. And then your, your husband comes out, wakes up and says, hey, we're going to Egypt to live. Mary probably could have argued. But you know what? Mary was chosen because of her obedience. 
And that says something, that, that obedience that, that she had. I mean, I was, I was joking. I was like, it seems like either, you know, us as human beings, we kind of we really make angels really mad at us or they're really impressed. And it doesn't seem like they're all that impressed with us because, like, there's only, like, two. Like, Daniel, they, they really liked because, you know, he obeyed. And then, like, Mary. And I'm sure there's other ones. I'm not trying to get into, like, any, you know, theological debates or anything. But, like, they liked Mary because she was like, hey, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord. My point is, is look at the obedience and the provision that God was doing here. As he was, as, as they were getting to um, go down there, Mary, Joseph being a man of faith and leading his family, obeying God. And, it, and what came to my mind is going to John chapter 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And ladies, one of the things that, that we can obey the commandments is submitting yourselves to your husband's. It's funny, it says, it says, I believe in Ephesians, it says that um, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. And then it says for women to respect your husbands. And I think as men, we can get kind of out of shape, bent out of shape about that. How come you don't command her to love me? Or how come, you know, and then the woman could say, you know, how come you don't command him to respect me? And it kind of makes me think, and I wonder, is it because, is it because we, you know, men, we, we give respect when respect's due. We don't have a problem respecting. You gave birth to like nine of my kids. That's amazing. You know, we, we can respect that. But have you ever heard a woman's feelings before? It's hard to gain respect back from a woman. That's, I don't think women have a problem. Lo- wo- uh, my mom will love me to death as I break her heart. I'm not doing that now. I have done that. Women, you know, and so God's commanding these things into, into, their, into us. God's, God in his word is, is saying, I value obedience. Notice how he doesn't say, if you love me, emotionally obey me, or emotionally love me on a constant 100% level, 24 hours a day. I don't think anybody in this room can have an emotion, 100% emotional love. And some of you are like, yeah, I can. I'll show you. No, it's, I mean, the re- realistic, if we're honest with yourselves, you know, God doesn't say, emotionally love me. Because you know what? Our love for Christ is going to go like through the roof and through the floor every five seconds. But what does he say? What's the key here? Obey me if you love me. Obey my commandments by this, on, you know, this on the, that you love me. And that's, I think, guys, that takes such a burden off of us as we obey Christ. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's, and, you know, I think God changes your heart as you obey. You know, I, I don't think he likes begrudging obedience. All right, fine, I'll do, I'll, I'll serve communion today at the church. I did it the last five times. No, I think as you serve, God changes your heart. But he, he values obedience out of us. And so in that, he values us to stand on the word of God, to be obedient to what the word of God says and what's going on here. And like Joseph being the example, he provided for them. And it's interesting, I don't think as, God, as you're obeying God and loving God and doing what God has you to do, whether it's going in the middle of, of a Muslim ISIS-controlled area I don't, think, I don't think a random person is going to murder you and you're going to get to heaven or you're going to starve to death and get to heaven and God's going to go, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I forgot. I was watching my beloved servant, Sean, teach. You know, I forgot you were over there in, in ISIS territory. I'm so sorry. And, you know, and we're laughing because that's ridiculous. God's going to provide and that's something we need to understand and it's also a reason I think kind of why we give because we do these things because we're, we're excited about it. Not, not because it's like, I have to give this, but because, because I, want, I'm, I want to be part of what's going on. 
And God's God, you're, you're not out of God's control. You're not out of God's hands. And we also, we also see the, the, um, we also see how terrible and how evil that, uh, that, that, that Herod was here. He went and he murdered children to, to keep his throne. And, this, and you could see this, no one did anything about it. He, he murdered these people. And you know what? The, the apples didn't really fall that far from the tree in regards to his sons that did, you know, were able to make it through Herod living. The sons of Herod, Herod the Great, um, we have Archelaus of Judah after Herod died. We have Herod Antipas of Galilee, and we have Philip of the north. Archelaus' history says when, when Archelaus took over, he was very evil. He, in fact, was so bad that um, the Jews got a delegate together, and they went to Caesar, and Caesar banished him to Spain. He was replaced by the Roman—I um, can't say this word. I'm so sorry. Procurators. Um, we, we know there were seven, seven of them, and we know absolutely one of those names for sure— that was Pontius Pilate. He was around during the time of um, Jesus' crucifixion. He was there because of the poor ruler of um, Archelaus. Uh, he's he's meant, uh, mentioned, you know, the man that's mentioned here. Philip married his niece Herodias, and then Antipas stole Herodias, who is also his niece, and uh, and John the Baptist spoke out against that. You know, I mean, he didn't speak. I don't. He didn't really speak out necessarily because that was his niece. But he said, "You stole another man's. You stole your brother's wife." And uh, and John the Baptist lost his head for that, and we'll, we'll read about that later. Uh, all this all started ruling. All started when his father died around four BC. Um, moving on in verse nineteen. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, "Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead." Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. And when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah, who we were just talking about, how evil he was, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there because the guy was terrible. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. You have all these men. They all, it's interesting to note that all these sons, when, they, when their father died in 4 BC, they went to Rome, history says, to say, hey, who's going to be the next Herod the Great? You know, who's going to rule this area? And, uh, and they say, you know what, all of you will. And they split it up. It's kind of, it was kind of a political power move on, on Caesar's part. So, you know, I don't want any one of you because of how whacked out your father was to um, have all the power over there, you know. And then, um, and then when, when Archelaus was so bad, they banished him, and they decided to put Roman governorship in, into a part to guarantee that nothing was going to happen. But it's like the Jews took that as a personal challenge to see how far they can upset the Romans. And what ended up happening, the Romans came in and slaughtered them all. And in fact, that was even prophesied by, by Jesus. Um, but we see that, and we, we know that there's, there's an interesting date, 4 B.C., and, and, and uh, this is another thing that Christian tradition can come in, that we believe Jesus was, what, 33 years old when he died. He might have started his ministry at 30. So, and just kind of going over this quickly, we have 
Um, some that say Jesus could have been between 37 and 39, and that could really upset some people because, <laughs> you know, the old tradition says this. And then people could point out, well, you know, if, he, if, if Jesus was alive during Herod's reign and Herod was born in, and Herod was alive in 4 B.C., you know, and you do the math, if Jesus died on the cross at 33, you know. Anyway, so you have those things. And, and, and my point in any of that is, is that we don't stand on Christian tradition just for the sake of Christian tradition here. We stand on the word of God. And we see here that things are fulfilled. We see um, that things are fulfilled in prophecy. And I kind of want to think, you know, speaking of just tradition or just looking at one thing for the sake of looking at one thing, think of the prophecy buffs on Messiah back then. If you were to go to, go to one of those, one, we're getting ready to close here. If you go to one of the um, prophecy scholars back during this time, there, you're going to have three separate camps probably. You're going to have the, well, you know, if you went to him on a panel and said, hey, when's, when's, where's Messiah going to be from? You're going to have the Bethlehem group because of what it says in Micah 5 too. <laughs> He's out of Bethlehem. And then you're going to have the Egypt group. <laughs> no, uh, Ho- Hosea says that he's going to be out of Egypt. And then you're going to have this group that says, no, he's called the Nazarene. And I, I went and I looked through all the scriptures to find specifically where it says that Jesus will be called the Nazarene. I really couldn't find anything. Now, the only thing I was really able to get out of it was the um, Hebrew word for um, root. There's a scripture saying the root of David. If you take that, there's a couple words in there that if you kind of squint at it, you, you know, kind of hold it over here and close one eye and cover it. It kind of goes along with, Na- it's the same words that can fit into Nazareth or Nazarene. But let me tell you, if I sit there and they said that was it, my dad would like throw something at me. Because it's not in the Bible specifically, and I can't absolutely say that. But what I can say that it's written in Matthew chapter 2, verse, verses uh, 23, and he came and he dwelt in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophets. He's, he's he shall call them a Nazarene. And I think it's important that you guys know, I don't know exactly why. I just don't. And I'm not going to ever be up here and make something up. But you know what the Bible says? It, and what does Paul say in Romans? May God be true and may every man be a liar. The Bible says it. We stand on the word of God. We don't stand on Christian traditions. We stand on what the word of God is saying. Um, what did Jesus, Jesus was asked, when are you, when's, gonna, when, when's the exact time of your return? What did Jesus say? I don't know. Loosely translated. Only the Father in heaven knows that. And Jesus, that's what Jesus said during his time on earth. I believe Jesus knows now. But he didn't lie to his apostles. He didn't, like, spin something crazy just to make sure that they still believed or that they would believe. No, he was completely honest with them. And that's another aspect of discipleship you should keep in mind is being honest when you don't know something. But guess what? We have the Holy Spirit. We can go and ask for a word of knowledge from God in something we don't understand. And if you don't, no matter what you search for with all the tools that you have, understand you can come to me. If I don't know, I can go to Pastor Mike. If he doesn't know, he can I don't know, go to God. I don't know who he goes to. Um, but we can find out. But we do it in these scriptures, and we see that there's something happening in this evil time. God is entering the world. Remember what I said? God, Jesus, standing at the right hand of power, who spoke the universe into creation, who said, let there be supernovas, and all the science that goes into supernovas, and supernovas instantly happen. I'm probably ruining that because I don't really fully know what a supernova is. But he said, let there be this, and it happened, and it was good. He said, let there be man, and it was very good. Instant obedience. He is completely sovereign. And it turns out that what we're studying here in Matthew, that Matthew, as he's showing the Jewish Messiah, is showing Jesus, and there's, there's just no disputing it. 
every prophecy fulfilled. Guys, everything the Bible has prophesied has, be, has absolutely come true except for the book of Revelation, except for one more thing. I mean, go back to like Daniel's time. There was still stuff that wasn't fulfilled yet. But we can look back and see that it was fulfilled. My point is, and what Matthew's point is showing a Jew that, um, that Jesus is the Messiah, is that we stand on the word of God. And we, we, we preach and we believe what the word of God says. And so as we go through Matthew, who we already talked about why it's creditable, and as we go through Matthew and we see, we see the, um, the, the, the enemy just right out trying to kill Jesus and attack Jesus, we see that something's happening here. And guys, maybe as we close, maybe something's happening tonight in your hearts. Maybe as you're hearing these words and mixed in with, with you know, my really bad history, something's changing inside of you. As we're talking about discipleship and you're sitting there going, yeah, man, man, I, I don't know who I'm discipling. I think if you're honest with yourself, we could probably say maybe some of us aren't. I don't, I'm not saying any of you. Maybe you are. If I'm wrong, praise God. But if I'm right, it's such an easy fix. It's such an easy fix. First of all, look at your kids. If you don't have kids, look at the kids here. There was so many times I was sitting at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley as a young man, just wishing one person would, would take me under this wing. Hey, man, let's go, let's go read the Bible together. Hey, let's go to a skate park and talk about God. And there were, men's that, there were men that taught me. There were men that, that, that appreciated me, maybe for who my father was. And they did kind of talk to me. And, you know, and I'm not blaming anybody for any of my actions growing up. But I guarantee you there's at least one kid or one person even that comes here wishing someone would come up and touch their lives. I guarantee you. That wish someone would pour into them. So pray that. Pray. I think that's what God's trying to speak to us as we obey the word. As we see these things that happen, as we obey, when Jesus starts getting his ministry going, he starts talking to people. He starts ministering to people. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, came back, and then sat down and discipled them again. You don't think Jesus considers discipling important? So, ladies, I encourage you, go find out your spiritual gifts. And when you know, let's start using them. Let's use them to disciple. I want people to look at the outs- look from the outside in at Calvary Chapel, Ontario, and want to come here. Not that they don't. I'm not speaking as Calvary Chapel, Ontario, but to look at that and be like, I need someone to touch my life. Because we live in a day of age where people don't have mothers and fathers and, and positive influences, guys. Let's be, a, let's be a positive influence of light in this world. We could be like the star that led, the wise, that led pagans to Jesus. Be like Daniel. Let's go eat some nachos, yeah. Father God, Lord, we just come before you, Lord, and we just ask you that you would show us who you want us to um, disciple, Lord, in you, in love, that we, we, would, we would, as we obey you, love you with all our heart, soul, and, and minds and obedience, and that we would show that love to those around us, God. Lord, we just ask that, that Lord, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that you've, you've sealed us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, and if, if anyone here, Lord, just needs a touch from you right now, I ask is, as your, your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, if right now you just you need a touch and you, from, from the Holy Spirit right now and you, need, and you know God's been speaking to you about obedience and about standing on his word and about, about maybe there's someone you know that you're supposed to disciple but you're kind of annoyed at it, raise your hand right now if you know that, if you need, if you need that right now, if you need the Holy Spirit to, to speak that into you. Father God, Lord, right now you see the hands of these, of these individuals, Lord. Holy, and God, I just ask that you would send the Holy Spirit on your life to open their eyes 
to show who they need to be pouring into. Lord, forgive them of their sins, Lord. Meet them where they're at, God. Lord, give us a burning desire, not just for Calvary Chapel, for the sake of Calvary Chapel or the church for the sake of the church, but for you, Lord, that you want to touch people. So, Lord, I just ask for a blessing upon the fellowship that's going to happen right now. I ask that you'd fill us with love. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stick around. The nachos, I believe, are $3. They're, they're made, the, the nacho meat is terry taco meat, which is like superb. I ate it growing up, I know. Uh, and I think you can get two plates for $5 just to cover some of the costs. But please stick around. If you can't afford to pay for the nachos, I'll buy you one. Please don't leave. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Would everyone stand, please?